As I mentioned two weeks ago, we began a series in this, uh, in this book of Job, which records the story of this man named Job, a righteous man in the eyes of God, yet a man who undergoes almost unimaginable suffering for no apparent reason, and suffering which comes ultimately at the hands of God. And much like times of, of suffering that we might experience, unexplainable pain uh, and suffering bring about many questions. And Job is confronted with many questions in this book. Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me or to my loved ones? Why does, why does God allow it? Why doesn't God stop it? Where is God in it? These are the, the kind of questions that, that we know deep down in our heart when we're going through trials find their voice. And the book of Job, as we saw, is not given to, to answer all those questions, whether personal to our own situations or, or more general to the greater problem of evil and suffering, though in it we do find insight and we will find uh, uh, wisdom towards those answers. It's not given just to help us cope with and find comfort in our own suffering or, or in ministering to the suffering of others through their Hard times. Although, again, Job gives us much wisdom that will equip us for both of those. But ultimately, the experience of Job points to the sovereign power, to the, to the wisdom and the grace of God who over, in, and through, ultimately the perfect obedience and deep suffering of his own son will finally defeat Satan redeem sinners and bring glory to himself and bring his own children to glory through times of suffering and hardship. Job's story is a gospel story. And because of that, and because of, it is a gospel story because of what, what we need the most in the midst of times of suffering is not always the answers to what's happening, but the hope that is found in the good news of Jesus. And so the opening chapters of this book serve as sort of a prologue and set the stage for, for the remainder of what will be a long journey through the questions and through the, the struggles that suffering often brings. And as we saw two weeks ago, we're introduced here to this man named Job, a real man who lived in a real place, the land of Uz, who lived at a real time in history, likely the time during the, the patriarchs and, and probably a cohort sometime around the time of Abraham. And we also introduced to this divine council, which we read about this morning of sorts, that's taking place between God and, and one called the Satan, the adversary who we know from the rest of scripture to be our chief enemy, the devil. And this council's main subject is this person, Job. And again, two weeks ago, we saw Job's character. He's a righteous man, blameless and upright, one who fears God and turns away from evil. He's a wealthy man, having massive amounts of livestock and land and servants in his, in his portfolio. He's a blessed man with a, a, a wonderful family, seven sons and, and three daughters, 10 children who love each other and who love to gather together and, and have family uh, celebrations and Job is a praying man. 
He's interceding on behalf of himself and his children before God, lest in their heart they might sin against him. And for these reasons, Job is described as the greatest of all the people in the East. Which is why one day when Satan appears before God, having having come from wandering to and fro on the earth, God presents Job to Satan and says, have you considered my servant? He's a model of integrity, he's a model of righteousness. And Satan, seeing an opportunity, presents a challenge to God and says, basically, God, you're not being a gracious redeemer, you're just being a divine blackmailer. Job only loves you because of what you give to him. You've given him everything he's ever wanted or needed, so why wouldn't he worship you? Take it away, he says, and see if he doesn't curse you. Satan is basically challenging God's promise and plan of redemption to which Job clings to by faith. He says, no one really serves or worships you for who you are. They only serve you and worship you because of what you give to them. Take all that away and their faith will, his faith will crumble when that blessing is removed. And God, in vindication of his own glory and to prove Job's faithfulness, takes up that challenge. And we saw last time that, that Satan is, is not on an equal par with God. He is not free to go and do whatever he wants. God, Satan is God, Satan. And, and God gives him permission to go and stretch out his hand against Job. And so today we come to the, the devastating results of that challenge in the life of Job. As well as his amazing response in the midst of that devastation. And both of those point us to how God is ultimately dealing with Satan and with evil in this world. Through the faithful suffering, faithfulness and suffering of a great, one greater than Job. And that's his son Jesus. And so we come to this scene away from heaven back to earth in another day that for Job probably started like any other day, but would end as one of the worst that he or we could ever imagine. His oldest son is hosting a party, likely a birthday celebration with his siblings, and Job is up early, perhaps, perhaps praying for them as they're, as they're gathering for this, this uh, celebration. And then he begins to go about his day when suddenly a distraught and exhausted messenger arrives with some bad news. And he comes from the fields where the livestock and the servants were, were hard at work, again, going about their day probably normally as they did every day, when suddenly a violent and, and thieving group of raiders falls upon them and murders all the workers and takes all the livestock. It was an unexpected, unwarranted, destructive terrorist attack. And Job is just beginning to process it when suddenly he sees another Servant coming, soaked in sweat, blackened with soot. And he walks in and without any introduction, he spills his horrible message that the fire of God has come down and burned up all of Job's sheep and their shepherds. We can imagine that. A vast flock grazing on hundreds of acres of, of, of meadowland, a lightning storm coming down, striking the dry grass, and the, the wind beginning to whip that up into a raging uh, for, uh, fire that just goes across the plain and consumes everything in its path. We've seen it happen on the news. 
But Job's now feeling the shock. And like a fighter dazed by the landing of a combo of punches, he, he's looking around for a, a corner in which, to, in which to retreat and gather himself only to be met with a third blow. A messenger who tells him another group of, of bandits. The Chaldeans have come and stolen his camels and, and slaughtered all of their drivers. Utter devastation. Utter devastation. In fact, only these three men in God's providence and, and likely by Satan's design and timing bring the news in rapid succession that Job is bankrupt. He is bereft of everything that he has. He is stripped of his livelihood. In a matter of, of hours and minutes, he learns he's gone from the greatest to the least, from riches to rags. He's gone from having everything to having nothing. At least he's got his family. But Job finds himself reeling on the ropes. And then comes what should be the knockout blow. Another servant shows up. His face is ashen. Job recognizes him from his oldest son's house. And you can imagine what's starting to turn in Job's mind as he sees this servant come in. And he says, your children were gathered for a gathering at your oldest son's house. Yes, yes, I know that. I know that. And a great wind, likely a tornado, came and, and struck the house all around. And Job's thinking, no, no, don't say any more. And the house fell upon them, and they're all dead. No, God. Please, no. We don't need illustrations to capture the horror of this scenario. We've seen brutal, bloody terrorist attacks and inhumane military actions upon Various peoples. We've witnessed the destructive effects of tornadoes and, and wildfires and floods, what insurance rightly calls the acts of God. You may know what it's like to be the victim of a robbery, to suffer the trauma of abuse or violence of some sort, of another against you, to lose without warning your job. Or see much of what you possess and, and prize to go up in flames or be blown away and washed away in a hurricane. Many of us have lost friends or loved ones. Some of you have lost children. Perhaps just reading this brings forward some of the feelings and the memories from those experiences. And, and we're used to terms like like trauma and, and PTSD and, and having counselors and therapists on hands to, to help us deal with such crises. But it's hard to imagine that there's ever been in the history of the world, with maybe the exception of one Friday some 2,000 years ago, such a horrible, terrible, very bad day in the life of an individual. And friends, we're meant to feel with Job the repeated shockwaves of grief. We're meant to, to, to feel 
the gut-wrenching pain of loss, the mind-numbing despair of feeling utterly violated, of having everything ripped away from you in a matter of hours, and to be left there sitting alone. How can we help but weep with this man? Remember, Job has no, he has no knowledge of what's going on. He hasn't, he doesn't know, he hasn't seen the exchange that we have, we have been able to, to get a glimpse of between God and Satan. Unlike Job, unlike us, Job has no idea why any of this is happening and, 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 and why it has come into his life. He is hit from behind. He is blindsided. He is sucker punched. He is, he is laid bare in all that he is, so to speak. And we wait along with Satan and all the hosts of heaven to see how he will respond. Is he going to sit in mind-numbing unbelief? Will he collapse under the weight of sorrow? Will he lash out in anger? Will he immediately begin to look for someone to blame The Sabaeans, the servants, the kids, himself, all of these things probably going through his mind. And in some ways, Job does respond as we would expect. Having been floored by these events, he gets up, he he rips off his robe as an indication of just the the, the tearing of his, his, his own heart. In the midst of this, he picks up a, a, a knife or a razor and he begins to, to cut off his hair and shave his head, a, a sign of, of deep grief and mourning. He falls face down on the ground. Job does what, what any of us would do, what any of us should do when we experience such things. We weep. We wear black. <laughs> We express our emotions. We feel the weight of that grief in every area of our life, both physically and mentally and emotionally. But then the next word catches us up short, doesn't it? We're told very simply, Job worshipped. He worshipped. And then he speaks what he knows to be true in verse 21. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God has given me everything I have, and now God has taken it away. Blessed be his name. Job says exactly what Satan said he would not say. And just to be sure we understand the implications of that, the writer tells us, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. Well, that'd be a great ending to the story right there. You might think that it would end there, but there is more. In what is now a familiar scene, Satan appears at another council before the Lord. And once again, God holds forth his servant Job as a model of righteousness, only this time, perhaps with a little note of triumph in his voice, He says to Satan, have you considered Job? He's blameless and upright, a man who fears the Lord and and turns from evil. And he holds fast to his integrity. 
In other words, he's, he's proven to be faithful, not just on the outside in his actions, but on the inside in his heart. And then God says, despite the fact that you, Satan, incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And, and here again, we're confronted with, with questions. We're confronted with questions. We're confronted with two realities that Job will grapple with over the next 30-something chapters. And that we grapple with in the midst of our own struggles. God is ultimately the hand behind all that is happening to Job. Though not the author of evil, Satan is carrying that out. And all that is happening, God says, is without reason. Owing to Job himself. This is undeserved suffering according to the will of God. But Satan is not done. He goes for the jugular by saying Job still has his life. (laughs) He may have lost all his wealth. He may have lost all his children. But he's still got his health. Touch him physically. And see if he will not curse you. And again, the Lord removes the prohibition he'd put on Satan before and allows him to afflict Job bodily. And we're told Satan immediately goes out and strikes Job's entire body from the soles of his foot to the, to the crown of his head with loathsome sores. Such that, such that Job retreats out of the, the, the gates of the city to the dump where he begins to scrape his wounds with sh- shards of pottery that he finds around him now we don't need a diagnosis of what was wrong with Job to get the point here later on Job will describe that his sores were were infested with worms that his body was covered in scabs that open sores would ooze out with pus that his skin was black and peeling that his teeth were rotting and his breath stank that he had fevers and and he cannot sleep and he has night terrors Job's in a bad way, physically. Probably worse than than many of us could imagine or have experienced. Some of us have gone through difficult physical illness or injury. We've spent days, maybe months, maybe years in hospitals getting treatments. Maybe you've witnessed a friend or or a family member deteriorate physically as, as cancer Or some other disease eats away at the body. Or mentally as dementia and Alzheimer's takes over the brain. In Job's day there were no painkillers. In Job's day there were no drug therapies. There were no surgical or clinical trials that he could undergo. His condition resulted in his being totally isolated outside the city. Forced to dwell apart from others. And to sit down at the dump where the garbage was was being taken to be burned in utter physical devastation. All that Job had left was his wife. And as we see, things there weren't going too well either. When major crisis hits, often the greatest strain can be put on a marriage. And often the place Satan will go to attack is in our closest relationships. 
Great loss or family trauma often results in tensions between a husband and a wife as each wrestles individually and at times can, can try to find fault or blame the other. And we do, do not know much about Mrs. Job. But we have to remember, she has suffered greatly, just like Job. She lost ten children. She's had her entire lifestyle and livelihood destroyed. And now she, she sees her husband there, physically and emotionally wasting away, covered in sores, and understandably, it's all too much for her. She looks at him and, he sa- and she says, can you still hold fast <laughs> to your faith, to your integrity? Why don't you just get it over with, Job? Just curse God and die. Now, we can sympathize with her. We should sympathize with her. But we also need to recognize that in her distress, she in some way proves Satan's point. And in a way, she unwittingly becomes his ally in pushing Job to to renounce his own faith. Job's destruction must must seem complete. He's materially bereft, he's emotionally distraught, he's physically disabled, he's relationally isolated. And at this time, in Job's rather gentle rebuke to his wife, we see him hold fast to his faith once again. He says to her, you speak like one of the foolish women would speak. I imagine this not as a, a, an angry rebuff But I imagine him just looking at his wife and saying, don't don't be foolish. (laughs) Those are crazy words. You know what's true. And then he says, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? There it is again. All that we have comes from God. And if we're willing to take the good things, the blessings... The benefits, we must be willing to take the bad things that he brings as well. And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. This is the last we hear of Satan in this book. Job's response seemingly silences him. No return to the council before the Lord. No next steps in the process of testing his faith. Satan seems to have just exited stage left. But the story's not over. We know that. Indeed, the story for Job is just beginning. As he sits in silent submission to what he knows is true, but does not understand... A silence that will soon be broken in a loud and long cry of pain and questioning God about all that has happened. Who himself remains silent. God remains silent for some time. And while Job's faithful response 
of faith in God signals God's defeat over Satan's accusations and and challenges in this situation. It does not fully secure that defeat. We need to remember that. Satan will be back. Maybe not necessarily in this book, but he'll show up as we go through the, the history of God's people again and again and again. He may have lost this argument, but Satan's case will not ultimately be thrown out of court until he throws all that he has against another servant of God, another man who was upright and blameless, whose wealth and riches included not just a, a lot of, uh, of, of earthly possessions, but included the whole universe. who voluntarily emptied himself of all that he had and and took on the form of a servant who was led by his father into the wilderness to face the adversary, Satan, and all his temptations. Who was, as Isaiah tells us, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, Couldn't even look upon him. Unrecognizable as the promised Messiah who was supposed to come and deliver his people. In Jesus, God's own son, God himself comes in order to suffer skin for skin. Even unto death. Jesus was, by the will of his heavenly father, delivered into the hands of sinful men beaten and mocked and nailed to a cross. And Isaiah tells us it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief in order to make an offering for guilt, to pay for sin. You see, Job doesn't just help us to understand why the righteous suffer. Job doesn't just, just, isn't there just to prepare us for times when such suffering will enter our lives without reason or cause that we can understand. Job points us to how God will ultimately conquer Satan and how God will ultimately redeem from sin and evil in the suffering and death of his own son who lays down his perfect life for us That we might be redeemed from the curse of sin. And that we might know a true righteousness. That is not of ourselves. But the perfect righteousness of Jesus. That enables us to stand blameless and upright before God. And to fear him and to turn away from evil in this life. Even in the midst of the greatest pain and suffering. You see Job sits on the ash heap outside of the city, utterly destitute, suffering mental and physical anguish, wondering why all this has happened. Beaten by his enemies, yet holding fast his integrity and clinging to his faith that God is sovereign and that God is just and that God is merciful to his own and therefore he endures that pain 
and that shame and that suffering. In submission and in worship of the God he knows, even if he doesn't understand. And so we look through Job and we look down centuries later where Jesus is led outside of the camp. He's abandoned by his friends. He's beaten by his enemies. He's disfigured, covered in in open wounds and a, a crown of thorns pressed down on his head. Unjustly accused and tried and and sentenced to death. Standing utterly alone as his hands and his feet are nailed to a cross. And he he is lifted up. And what does Isaiah say again about him? That God's servant will act wisely. He will act wisely. He doesn't open his mouth in curses. He opens it in blessings. He forgives his tormentors. He he promises redemption to a, a dying sinner hanging next to him. He cries out in pain for understanding, God, why have you forsaken me? While at the same time submitting himself to the will of his father, And committing his spirit in death to him. And if you go to the end of the scriptures in Revelation, we're told that at this point, Satan, the adversary, is cast down from the heavens. From the presence of God and of his holy counsels, he is is cast away and he is defeated. Once and for all. And while he still may roam to and fro on the earth looking for those that he can destroy. Brothers and sisters, he can no longer stand before the throne of God and accuse you or me. The Father. He cannot accuse us before the Father because we have an advocate. We have One who is now interceding for us, just as Job interceded for his children. One who stands in our defense. And we're told that nothing, nothing, not not any pain or suffering or, or trial we may face, not even death itself can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So in Job... God's not only preparing us to understand the reality of suffering. That's part of what he's doing in the life of his children and and how how we can enter into it and how we can endure it with perseverance and patience and faith in God's promises. But he's also preparing us to understand his own suffering, the suffering of his own son who willingly entered into and endured the, the, the most horrible day and pain that you could imagine for us, for you, for me. And he did it so that we can have even greater assurance than Job that God is with us. That even in these things, he is for us. Job clung to the little that he knew 
about God and what he had promised. That his Redeemer lives. And that one day he would see his face in the land of the living. Job looked forward to that, even though he couldn't see how it would happen. And we look back. And we have even greater assurance than Job in knowing who that Redeemer is. Jesus Christ. Whoever lives above, as we sang, to intercede for us. Whose blood atoned for every sin that we might have confidence to draw near to God and to say, Abba, Father. So we're meant in these early chapters of Job to be rocked a bit. We're meant to feel the shock, to enter the pain, to to be confounded with questions, to, to sit in silence with Job in wonder. And we will do that over the next weeks. It's hard to imagine the depths of suffering and pain Job experienced in every single way, all at once. But we don't have to imagine its effect. Some of you know it all too well. Some of you may be going through it right now and feeling that. All of us will know it at some point. So how do we respond? How do you respond? How do you want to respond? How do you make sure you don't respond with cynicism and cursing like Job's wife, but, but like Job in, in worship and in humility and in faith and ultimately in hope in the sovereign goodness and justice and ultimately the mercy of God? Brothers and sisters, we do it by leaning on the one who, who went through the fullness of suffering for you and me. By knowing that, that these heavy, heavy pains and trials that we experience, that we see others experiencing in this world, are but light and momentary compared to what awaits us in Christ, who's already endured that for us and won the victory over sin. sin. Satan is still alive. He's still active. Evil is still at work in the world. But remember what Jesus said to Peter in Luke 21, verse 31. He said, Peter, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you. In order that he can sift you like wheat. I've never sifted wheat, but for a wheat kernel, I bet it's a very painful process. Jesus says, but I've prayed for you. I've already prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. Do you know that in whatever you're going through right now, Jesus is praying for you? That your faith would not fail? That you would stand firm? And then he says to Peter, and when, not if, (laughs) when, You have turned again. In other words, when you have come through this, strengthen your brothers. Minister to others. Brothers and sisters, even when we fail, Jesus promises to get us through as we trust and lean on him. So if you're here this morning and your strength and your faith is not in Jesus Christ alone... You will never make it through the battles that you will face. But he invites you. Come. Bring your burden. Bring the weight 
that weighs you down and cast it upon him. And he'll give you rest for your soul and hope for your life. He is our strength and he will strengthen us in trials in order that we might bear fruit in the lives of others. And so as we come to the table, where we're reminded of the suffering that Jesus underwent on our behalf, pouring out his blood, offering up his body, we're also reminded that in him and through him, our faith is strengthened. We are nourished. We are given what we need to continue in the journey until he brings us home. So let us hold fast to our integrity and our confession before him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for the truth that no matter what we endure in this life, Lord, we do not endure it alone, but we endure it through the power of your son, Jesus Christ who has won the battle, who has conquered sin and death, who bore the greatest suffering we could ever imagine, and who rose again from the grave that we might live ever for him and for you. And so as we come to the table, Lord, would you strengthen our hearts. Whatever pain or trial or struggle we have endured or are enduring or will endure, may we bring it here Lay it at your feet and receive the hope that is found only in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.